This is the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast. I'm Matt and today I'm going to be reviewing and moaning about some geeky stuff. On today's show I have my thoughts on the Rebel Moon trailer, Ahsoka and all its greatness, I have what I'm watching this week on the telly, and I have two DC comics to read before you die. First up, Rebel Moon. So, I've recently watched the Rebel Moon trailer and I I really thought it would look great. I kind of think... What more could you ask for? I kind of feel like it's got, you know, Star Wars kind of feel. It had kind of a Lord of the Rings feel in one part of it. Go to all different planets, different species. Had a bit of a a Nazi feel to it at some point as well. I kind of feel like, no. Zack Snyder is basically making a film that he wants to make. And what can we say? I feel like he does that a lot, but he actually comes out making pretty decent movies. So the story follows a group of ragtag rebels who rise up um, to fight against a giant evil empire. It's set in a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy and finds itself threatened by armies of tyrannical regent Balisarius. They dispatch a young woman with a mysterious past to seek out warriors from neighbouring planets to help them stand against the tyrant. It, It does look great. I kind of feel like it's definitely up my street. You know, will it live up to my expectations? I absolutely hope so. So, it's going to be a two-part film, and I think the first part comes out in December this year, and I'm sure the next part comes out April next year, so it's not even that long until the next one lands. So, we've got Charlie Hunnam in it, Ed Skrine, Beyduna, uh Jaimin Hensu, Ray Fisher, Jenna Malone, Stuart Martin... Uh, Carrie Ewells, Corey Stahl, um, Mikel Huseman, Anthony Hopkins, Alfonso Herrera. Great cast. Looks to be brilliant. So I hope that it can live up to my expectations. Next up, Ahsoka. What can I really say other than it is awesome? I don't care what anyone says about the fact that they don't know who the Rebel characters are. Get over it and do something about it. It literally doesn't take much to actually do a bit of research. I knew just enough about the Rebel characters for the first episode. I knew who they were. I knew the names. Enough that I could definitely get into it. Um, I think the first episode gave us everything that we needed. Lightsabers, explosions, Jedi, dark side force users. So, after I watched the first two episodes, I went and watched the key episodes of Rebels, which... I actually thought it was a really good series. I'd kind of flicked through it, you know, past it when I was on, you know, when kids were watching something, and I was kind of lukewarm about it, so I never watched any of it. But actually, it was actually pretty good, and it the way it ended, it basically set up Ahsoka. So when Rosario Dawson had said that, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels were actually required watching before you watched it, she wasn't really lying. So Ahsoka has a great cast. And it's promising to be a great series. Ahsoka has heard word that the last of the Empire are looking for the great Admiral Thrawn. So, if you've watched Rebels, you know that he and Ezra, Ezra Bridger, young Jedi, used the Force to call upon a load of Star Whales, which you see in Episode 3 of Ahsoka, to take him and Thrawn and his, th- and his fleet to the other side of the universe. Um, that was the last anyone, anyone saw either of them. So, it's basically a race to find and stop Thrawn from returning. So, it looks to be an epic series. 
and probably the best of the Star Wars this year, as it looks like it has most of the budget, unfortunately, for every other Star Wars show that's coming out. There has been a lot of talk over the last few days about who the mystery character Marek is. So, some have suggested Starkiller from the Force Unleashed games. Doubtful unless they've decreased his power set exponentially, as he was immensely powerful. He could do pretty much anything with the Force. He, he beat Vader down, you know... What can we what can we really say? There's only a few people that have ever done that. So an, another idea is that it could be Ezra Bridget, who has turned to the dark side. I'm really hoping not, as I like the way they ended his story in Rebels, and I can't see him turn into the dark side, but I kind of feel like that's probably where they're going with it. I would have preferred it to be Asajj Ventress from Clone Wars. If you've ever watched Clone Wars, she was um, you know, a, Sith, a Sith apprentice to Dooku, and... She was really cool in it, but sadly, apparently she was killed off in a 2015 novel, which is allegedly canon, so my hopes and dreams have been, like, quelled completely there. So I just hope that Marek turns out to be someone cool, rather than just an old Jedi Temple guard or someone who worked in the Jedi Temple kitchens. What I'm watching this week. So this week I'm watching Super Crooks on Netflix. The series comes from the man that gave us Jupiter's legacy, Mark Miller. Scottish-born and bred Mark Miller is responsible for some of the greatest comic books that I've read. So from the Marvel Ultimate Universe, which I can't really go on about more than I have done, I'm sure. Kick-Ass is great. Superior is great. Super Crooks is an anime set in the same universe as Jupiter's Legacy and shows some of the characters that have appeared in a live-action show. It focuses on Johnny Bolt, a villain with electric powers, uh, which he uses to rob banks, ATMs, jewellery stores, etc. Johnny starts off as a kid who loves superheroes and emulates to be just like them. That is until his big debut as the new hero in town, and it goes horribly wrong, and he electrocutes a bunch of people at the local pool. Mayhem occurs after this, and it turns Johnny to a life of crime. So... (sighs) It ends him up in super jail. So, what can we say? It didn't exactly work out for him. He gets out to his honey bear, Casey, who's his girlfriend, um, who he's waited patiently on the outside for him to get out. Casey has gone straight-ish and wants him to do the same. Within a day, Johnny's back to his old tricks. Him and his friends decide to rob as many banks as possible in one go. They make a mess of San Francisco, coming up against two superheroes who have no business being superheroes as in my eyes they cause most of the damage um, they think they are getting away with it until they come up against a secondary antag- a secondary antagonist of the show the praetorian so the praetorian gets random powers which last for 24 hours so he's epically strong he can pretty much do anything they escape him by luck being that casey has a power to plant illusions inside people's minds and is able to get inside the praetorian's mind the main story focuses around Casey trying to convince Johnny to give up the little jobs like jewellery stores and banks and go for a, the life-changing money and the big jobs. She introduces him to her old mentor, The Heat, an old supervillain who used, um, used to rob banks back in the day. The gang perform a few heists together, but all but one goes their way, so the last one goes their way. There's lots of you know like lots of them not getting it right basically so the animation is great and has a catchy theme tune the only thing that is bugging me about the show is that i don't think there'll be a season two or a spin-off jupiter's legacy was cancelled after one season and i feel like netflix has netflix tends to do this especially with shows that end up showing quite a bit of potential 
And to be fair, it did get pretty good towards the end. And I know that it went over budget when it was shooting and all that. But I kind of feel like if you don't give the show, you know, a go if you don't pump it as much as, you know, other shows, it's never going to work out. And I feel like Netflix have a tendency to do this. They let you get a little bit into a show and then they go, oh, we'll just cancel it in the next series. So, um, Mark Miller's books are much better than what we've seen on screen, I feel like, thus far. So, I feel he's lost some of his artistic license when his comics are made into films or series. So, I'm referring mainly to Kick-Ass being one of the, being one of the main ones, anyway. The first film of Kick-Ass was pretty good, but it diverted from the source material just enough. You know, he, he ended up being a proper hero in it, when, in my eyes, in the book, he, he, he scraped by... But in his personal life, he was still a nerd. He was still getting beaten up by the bully. You know, it didn't really compute onto the screen. But because he got the girl, he wasn't, you know, like, he wasn't treated like a geek. He wasn't getting beaten up anymore. And because that happened, the second the second film couldn't really follow the second volumes of Kick-Ass's, you know, the source material. Which, the second volume of Kick-Ass was brilliant read. And... If you've read it, what Hit Girl does in the final battle compared to what she does in the final battle of the film, it's it it it's full on immense, and I don't think the you know it was able to get the right scope for it in the film. Uh, whereas in the comic, you're only limited by the artist and the writer's imagination. So hopefully Miller's work, yeah, in which he sold to Netflix, can be made into something immense in the future. And hopefully we can get more Jupiter's Legacy and even more Super Crooks. Comics to read before you die. So this week I'm going to review two comics to read before you die, both from the DC Universe. So this list, this is my list. It's not gospel, but I think these are comics that you might like. Okay, so... The story I'm going to talk about, the graphic novel I'm going to talk about, is Superman's Secret Identity. It's one of my favourite comic books of all time. The story is written as, a, as four issues, but can now be read in graphic novel form. The story takes place in a world without superheroes, following the life of a boy from Kansas, whose surname was Kent, and his parents decided to call him Clark after Superman. Feeling like an outcast for most of his life, he somehow gains powers and dons the familiar red and blue suit from the comics. The story follows him through the stages of his life, showing him using his powers in secret, working for the government, finding love, getting married, having children, getting older and eventually retiring. It's a, all in all, it's a great story with great writing and great visuals. Kurt Busiek's use of journal style through the stages of his life is brilliant. He, he, it's so nicely brought together with the the art style of Stuart Immonen's as well. So, Kurt Busiek has written a lot of notable comics such as Astro City, The Avengers, Thunderbolts, Marvels, Superman, Avengers, Kang Dynasty. So, if you're thinking about upcoming films as well from Marvel, you know, the titles that he's written are sounding a little bit familiar. So, bear that in mind. Stuart Immonen's has done art for Ultimate Spider-Man, which is a great series. Ultimate X-Men, another great series. You know what I'm like. I, I do like the Ultimate Universe. New X-Men is awesome as well. Spider, Amazing Spider-Man, which is, this is just to name a few. I think that the fact that between um, Busick and Immonen's, the amount of books that they've been involved in, um, that I would say were some of the best books I've read, says a lot. 
If you're looking for something different from the usual superhero comic archetype, then this book should be added to your list. The beauty of this book is in its simplicity. It's a book about a man trying to do his best with his new gifts. There aren't any flashy supervillains or world-ending events. It's about a man who can do anything that Superman can do in a world that doesn't know know he exists. Great book. Get it read. Identity Crisis is probably my favourite of the DC Crisis. It taps into something a little bit more primal for me. It's about being powerful but still feeling so weak. Isn't the usual archetype for a crisis in my eyes being that a DC Crisis is usually a huge crossover event which could have multiversal consequences or could have the whole world consequences. So, whereas I feel Identity Crisis, while it doesn't have a huge effect on whether the world ends or not, I feel it taps into the other end of the spectrum. Most people's worlds are their families. Gives us an insight into what a hero would do if their their personal world implodes rather than their professional world. It isn't big and flashy, it doesn't have amazing super feet, It probably has the saddest death for me in all comics. And it's not just because of the character dying, but Ralph Dibney's reaction. Ralph Dibney, the elongated man, is the saddest crier in comics. When he cries, his whole body reacts to it. His his face starts to come away. He can't hold himself together. So Brad Meltzer's right in his top notch for it, you know, for the time that it was wrote, as well as Rags Morella's pencils. Both lend something to each other and make it a great book. The inks, which I don't mention enough, are done by Michael Blair and the colorist is Alex Sinclair. I feel like colorists and inkists never get enough credit, but both add on to the story with you know great great art all the way through so one thing that i would say is that the only downside to the story that i can see is that in some parts of it it shows the female characters as maybe victims and damsels in distress and um, i feel like some people on the internet have brought this to the forefront about the, these stories it's not completely true all the way through because actually there are other victims in it that are male you know the main story unfolds after after Ralph Dibney's wife is made at their home. Threats are sent out to other hero spouses, such as Lois Lane. But I think people forget that Tim Drake's father is murdered during the story, while Tim and Bruce frantically try and get back to him. So I think it's easy to say that the women of the story are victimised, especially when the villain of the story turns out to be the ex-wife of another hero who wants her husband back. I kind of feel like... Maybe that wasn't exactly what we were expecting, but I, I really feel like it was a good twist. And it, in some ways, doesn't exactly fit with the archetype of a crisis in that way. I think in a universe where the main villains are usually painted to be male and most of, you know, most of them time all-powerful, that the usual archetype falls apart, especially when it turns out to be no criminal mastermind but a woman with mental health issues... And I kind of feel like that was brilliant. I don't think it needed to be anything big and flashy. I think, you know, something as simple as, you know, like a woman who, you know, anyone who wanted their partner back and just had had lost it slightly, gone too far, and it all unraveled. So DC Comics, in my eyes, has has been trying to gain equality for all for longer than most comics have. Let's be honest, one of their biggest sellers for yeah, for all these years, was and is Wonder Woman. So, what I specifically like about the story is that it focuses on heroes being less than heroes. The tragic backstory of Sue Dibney and what her friends, the Justice League, of that of that particular era, did to protect her. What the League did to Doctor Light is probably one of the worst things that they could have done. So, 
what I like about the story as well is Wally West plays a big part in it for me. So Wally West, the third, the third Flash, um, Wally's incorruptible in this particular story. And whereas his predecessor Barry Allen turns out that he was, he could be corrupted. I think this story is almost a polar opposite to if you've read Heroes in Crisis. Um, which came out in recent years. Wally in Identity Crisis is someone who can't be swayed from the path of a hero, whereas Heroes in Crisis wears him down, stripping everything away from him, family, friends, until he becomes worse than the heroes he chastises in Identity Crisis. The story opens with Ralph Dibney, the elongated man, and Firehawk on a rooftop out on patrol. Firehawk is asking about his marriage and how he keeps it going, keeping him away from home while Sue organises a surprise party. Ralph, on the other hand, knows that Sue's doing this surprise party. He is a detective, after all, but he plays along for her. Sue sends out a distress call to Ralph. He races home, only to find she's been murdered, and in a quite horrific way, if I'm honest. Um, like I said earlier, one of the worst character deaths for me, mainly because Ralph is so inconsolable, not just then, but at the funeral, you know, probably forever in comics, if I'm honest. And the fact that Sue, after many years of trying, was actually pregnant when she was killed. So it turns out that the murderer was Jean Lauren, who is Ray Palmer's ex-wife, the Atom, if you don't know. Uh, she wanted Ray back and thought that giving Sue a scare would force him to look after her. She goes way too far and kills Sue, then loses the plot completely. She threatens other spouses and partners and sends Captain Boomerang after Jack Drake, Robin's dad. So what she did here was she hoped that everyone think that Captain Boomerang was the murderer. And she gives him the address of Jack Drake and sends him there. She also sends a gun to Jack Drake so that he can protect himself, hoping that he'd kill Boomerang, Boomerang would get the blame, and she'd be off the hook. The story doesn't even end there. The The backstory of why the League, you know, are so bothered about Sue and everything, dying and everything, it goes even further than that. So you expect heroes to act at a higher level of morality, but this shows that they can be tainted. Sue Dibney, she was basically a League member, she wasn't just Ralph's wife. She was one of them. She was always there. She was in the watchtower one night and Dr. Light gets in there. He beats her up. He rapes her. It's awful. So this is during Ralph's time of the league. The league turn back up. You know, they see what he's done and they mess him up and then they come to the decision. So this is Hawkman, The Flash, Atom, Black Canary, Green Arrow, Zatanna, and they make the decision to cripple Dr. Dr. Light's mind using Zatanna's powers. So making him more villain of the week rather than the big bad. So Batman finds them. There. He comes back to the watchtower you know, and sees them lobotomizing him and tries to stop them. So they do the same to Batman. They taint his memories. They make, him so, make it so he forgets. Because these events, they go after light in the yeah, in the present day, thinking that has he regained his memories? Did he go after Sue? The fact that she was burnt alive says that Doctor Light could have been involved. So it opens a can of worms and leads to events later on down the line in um, Teen Titans and stuff like that, and has re- repercussions for characters. So it's a great book and more than deserving to be on your list of comics to read before you die. I'm Matt and this has been the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast. Thanks for listening.